Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear was presented to the Franklin Church on April 5th, 2009. And it's a special treat because I was out of town that Sunday, and Brother Jim Boyd, one of the members of our congregation, presented the lesson. He wants to talk to us about having and setting an example. We take this opportunity to remind you that if you haven't done so yet, you can actually subscribe to our weekly sermon podcast. Go to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com, and over on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see the link with the iTunes symbol. Just click on that, and then you'll see our page, and you can hit subscribe, and these sermons will be delivered to your iTunes and your MP3 every week. Right now, why don't you open up your Bible and get ready to learn about having and setting an example. In 1993, um, I was a 30-year-old father. And let me say to the math, I'm going to be 46 this year. So to, to some guys like Michael, um, I'm really old. But to some guys like James Wood, I'm young. So in 1946, or correction, in 1993, I was a 30-year-old father with a 5-year-old daughter, my oldest daughter, who was going to kindergarten. And it was exciting. I mean, it was mixed emotions, but it was really exciting. And if you've ever driven a kid... To school, especially nowadays, you've experienced this. These huge car lines. They're, they're unbelievable. They're just really long, and sometimes they're not organized very well. Well, when the weather was good, Tim would either walk him to school, or, or we would put Sydney in the stroller and push her while we walked. But when it was bad or rainy, we would drive. Well, right next to this long line of cars, right next to school, there's a strip mall. And in the strip mall, you could park in the parking lot and walk a short distance to the school. And we did it. A lot of people did it. They'd park there, take the kids, walk to the school. At a PTA meeting, the principal told us that the owner of the strip mall specifically didn't want us doing that. It, it you know, put a lot of cars in his lot. He had just seeded the grass. It was making a path. Specifically asked us not to do it. And not only that, they sent home notes with kids, I think two or three times, sent home notes, please don't park in the lot and walk across. Parents continued to do it. They just kept on doing it. Well, the owner finally got fed up and he put up a six-foot chain, chain foot or a six-foot chain-link fence. So what did parents do? They parked. They walked across the parking lot to where that fence met the road, went around it, and went to the school. They just kept doing it until somebody took a lot of initiative and actually ran over the fence, knocked it down. It was amazing to me to watch parents take their little kids by the hands, walk across this fence, making sure they weren't falling and taking them to school. To me, it was amazing. So we had another PTA meeting. The parents were all mad about this fence. They were, they were just incensed that he would put up this fence, and they were talking about it, and the principal was trying to do her best. This builder would even, or the owner of this place would even stand in the lot and ask people not to do it. So this is where I had to chime in. I couldn't hold it anymore. And I said, I just want to know one thing. I said, if you are a parent who is taking your kid by the hand and walking across that fence, what right do you have to punish your kid when they're disobedient to you? And they just looked at me. I said, all they would be doing is following the example you set. Well, they thought I was the biggest idiot that ever spoke up in any meeting. They couldn't, they didn't understand, they didn't agree with it, they just, they just completely dismissed it and went on. The point I was trying to make to them is what they were doing is what they can expect from their kids. 
Why should they expect anything different? And that's kind of what I want to get at this morning. The importance of having and setting an example in our lives. God knew that it is our nature to look at what other people do and tend to do the same thing. Uh, you know, I recently, when a when preacher talked about how we look to other people, well, hand in hand in that goes what your example does for other people and what other people's examples can do for us. God knows that we are affected by what we see in other people. God must have believed it was critical. Because God, as the creator, he has the right to tell us how to live and what to do. He made the playing field. He invented the players. He set the rules for the game. He could just tell us what to do and be done with it. He has the right to do that. But he didn't stop there. As we've heard a couple times this morning already, Jesus set the perfect example for us. Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet in John 13, think about it. He didn't have to do that. He could have just told the disciples while they're eating, hey, I want you guys to serve each other. That's what I want you to do. Could he have done that? Yeah, but he didn't. First he washed their feet. Then he told them that the reason he had done it in verse 15 was, I gave you an example so that you should do the same thing. God gave us the perfect example of what he wants us to be in Jesus. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. We often talk about the fact that we should imitate Jesus, but listen to what this says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, how do you do that? How do I imitate God? I, I can't see God. I don't know what it is he looks like, but I do know some things about him. It says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We have Jesus. That's who God gave us as an example. Now, it kind of goes without saying that you have to see something in order to imitate it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangled us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. That means you're supposed to look at him and then think about him. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What he's saying here is if you find yourself getting weary and doing what's good, just take a look at Jesus. Look what he went through. Remember I said it kind of goes up with not saying that you can't do an imitation of somebody without seeing it. We've all seen, one of my favorite things is people that can do comic impersonations. I just love people with that ability. But can you imagine being someplace where there's a comic impersonator and you, and you yell out to him, hey, I want you to do Jerome Lester Howitz. 
And the guy looks at it and he goes, well, I'm not exactly sure who Jerome Lester Howitz is, but I'll tell you what, I'll do him. Well, he would. How, what kind of impersonation do you think you're going to get? But what if you said, I want you to do Curly Howard. Now, is the light coming on? Everybody know who Curly Howard is? For you younger guys, and I weep for this generation, it's the Three Stooges. All right? If you said that, Curly Howard, he'd break out and he'd probably do a great impersonation. But he had to have a reference point. God would not tell us to imitate him without a reference. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be the right thing to do. God continues today to give us the perfect example. He continued then, and he continues now. One of the greatest things about examples is that it's contagious. And what I mean by that is if you do something, somebody else will probably do something. You remember that old commercial where a father was washing his car, and they showed the little boy washing his car, the father ringing out the sponge, the little boy ringing out the sponge, and they did all that stuff. The father lit up a cigarette, and the little boy reached for the cigarette. Do you remember that? If we do something, a lot of times other people are going to want to do it. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 6 through 8, it says, So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He tells these people, you became the example. For the word of the Lord was sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have nothing to say. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you and how you turn to God for miles to serve a living God and to wait for his son from heaven. This church sets an example. That's one of the great things about it. If we do the right things here, we can't expect to be in a nutshell and nobody know what we're doing. We shouldn't want that. We should want to be an example for other churches, for other Christians. We should want those things to do. And the Philippians were written a letter and told that the apostles themselves left the pattern. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians 3, verse 17 through 21, it says, Brethren, join in following my example. Okay, so he says right there, the example that I gave you, I want you to follow it. Now listen to this. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us. What he's saying is, we gave you an example. There are people who are following it. I want you to watch them. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now why does he say that? There are some people who are walking against what Christ wants, what he wants. There are some that are walking as Christ wants. And there's an example of how to do it. He says, watch the people who are doing what they're supposed to do. Watch them if you're having trouble. God gave us an example. He gives an example today. We should all be able to look at each other. Now, probably the hardest part of doing a lesson like this for me is that when I look back over my past, I can count, actually I can't count, how many times I've set the wrong example. And so I, I almost feel hypocritical standing up here telling you to, to think about your example. But you know what? You can correct. If you feel that same way, you can correct your example. You have to deal first, though, with your relationship with God. If you're not right with God, you can do all the right things you want. 
You can be here all the time. You can talk to people. You can do all the things you want, but you're spinning your wheels. You have to be right with God. And you know, the funny thing is we have a tendency to look at the Old Testament and say, well, you know, the Old Testament was just a bunch of do's and don'ts. You ever heard that? It's a whole litany of laws. That's what the Old Testament was. Today, it's more spiritual. We're more enlightened. That's what Christ... Well, that's not true. God has always been expecting things of us. But he doesn't want just what we do. He wants our heart. Go to Psalms chapter 51. In verse 17, and we think about the Old Testament, all the sacrifices that went on and on and on. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You're supposed to have the spirit that you know that you're broken, and only God can fix it. Only Christ can fix it. Also look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So don't look at today and what you're supposed to do and say, well, I'm doing these things. I'm not doing those things. I'm okay. It's your heart that God wants right. You have to fix that first. It can be hard to do that, I know. But what I want you to think about is that failure can be another opportunity to set an example. Now, let let me caution you here. There's a lot of people today that that wear their past almost like a badge of honor. There's this tendency in these modern ministries to get guys, and I'm not preaching against tattoos or earrings or anything like that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But they get these guys covered with tattoos, you know, the, the fish bones sticking through their nose, all this kind of stuff, talking about all the drugs they did and all that kind of stuff. And what they're doing is saying, hey, I was super cool doing bad stuff. I'm still super cool. And it's almost like they're wearing it like a badge of honor. But on the other hand, don't be afraid to share your experiences. Don't be afraid to tell people the example. Confess your sins one to another. I can confess that I've sinned. I have made that confession. It says confess my sins one to another. I need to look at somebody who maybe has fallen into the same trap I've fallen into and maybe telling them that they're they're falling into a trap. Now, most people, or, or some people at least, don't like the, hey, I've been there kind of thing. You know, like I said, I'm still I'm 46 years young, but if I was talking to Michael and I said, Michael, I've done that, buddy. I know what you're heading for. You know, people don't like that. They don't like hearing that. But maybe I can sit and talk with Michael and say, look, man, I, I think I know what you're going through. I think I understand how things are for you. Let's talk. You know what will happen if you do that? He's going to ask you more questions. He's going to say, how do you know what I'm going through? Then you start the discussion. Don't wear it like you're some kind of hero because you've been bad in the past. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, I had a preacher one time tell me that he said uh, the reason he repeats the chapter he's going through all the time is so he can go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to get the right place. So, and actually, one time I, I had heard a preacher, he's flipping, he said, well, for, apparently my Bible doesn't have 1 Corinthians. And then he just quoted it. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 12. This is a long reading, but I want you to stick with me for it. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's telling the story of when they were brought out of Egypt. 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. Jesus was with the Israelites. Sometimes we don't think about that. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave the evil things they also crave. He's telling them, hey, here's, here's a really bad example. And the reason I'm telling you is so that you won't want to do the same thing. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, for some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyers. Now these things happen to them as an example, and they are written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. When you look at somebody else who has made a mistake, and they're talking about it, don't look at them and say, man, that guy did a really bad thing. I'm glad I never got in that situation. You know why you shouldn't think that? Because you'll fall. Take heed. Be careful. Look at all the bad things and say, you know what? I can be like that too. We were doing a study one time of a book called Point Man. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. We had a bunch of young guys and we had a, uh, our elders. Were in, and one of the elders said, you know what? I can commit adultery. You would not believe the reaction they had. People were shocked. They were looking at him and he said, I can do it or God wouldn't have warned me about it. He was just being honest. That's what we need. We need to understand that these warnings are here for us. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, it gives us hope when we've made mistakes. It says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. These are things that you can turn around and do if you've made mistakes. You don't have to just wallow in self-pity. You don't have to wallow in guilt. You can understand that you're clean. So with all this in mind, let's talk for a minute about how we become a good example. Go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel, these young guys that were taken captive were being set aside for a special purpose. They were, they were obviously extraordinary young men. And they were being set aside to, to serve in the king's court. So the king sets them aside and he decides, I'm going to give them the best food they could possibly have so that they become even better than they are. Well, there's something wrong with this food. We're not told what it is, but there's something wrong with it. And Daniel knew if he ate it, he would be defiled. So let's look at verse 8. It says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. And look down at verse 15. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better 
and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Daniel made a choice. I want you to think about this. The next time you go and get your car fixed, I want you, as the guy is under there cranking that wrench, I want you to say to him, hey, when did you decide to become a mechanic? And he looks at it and goes, hmm, I didn't really decide to become a mechanic. He goes back doing that. That is fire's confidence. Or, if you go in for a surgery, go to this doctor who decided to become a surgeon and say, hey, doctor, at what point did you decide you wanted to become a surgeon? He goes, you know, I don't know if I ever really made that decision. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You can't really do much of anything without deciding to do it. You have to decide you want to do it. I mean, it goes everything. When you go out to eat this afternoon, if you go out to eat and you're sitting in a restaurant, I dare you to do this, I know you won't. Look at the people next to you at the table and go, hey, what made you decide to come here today? Are they going to look at you and go, we didn't? It doesn't make any sense. You are where you are. You do what you do because you've decided to do it. If you want to be an example, decide to be an example. That sounds simple, doesn't it? But you have to decide to be an example. I almost guarantee you that there's not people out there setting good examples that it just happens. Well, the truth is, you're an example whether you want to be one or not. Go to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, in verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they are saying things and do not do them. They tie heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of the garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seat at the synagogue. You see what's happening here? These people, they knew the truth. They knew what to do. They told people to do them. Jesus said, hey, do what they're telling you to do, but don't do what they're doing. They weren't necessarily setting themselves up as an example, but they were an example. Your life sets a pattern. And whether you like it or not, people see that pattern. So you have to decide what kind of parent, pattern you're going to be. Now, parents, let me talk to you for just a minute. You get your kids for this much time, and it's gone. I, I don't want to argue about do you have to be here at every single service. I've had that argument. If you don't think that you have to be here every time, I don't think in the next five minutes I can convince you have to be. I've had that argument. But I'll tell you what, we could sit down and I could show you the benefits of being here as often as you possibly can be. So if you don't want your kids to go to church every time, don't go to church every time. If you want them to be at every service when they, when they become an adult, you better be here at every service. Because your kids are going to do what you want to do or what they see you doing. If you don't want your kids to own a Bible, don't ever read yours at home. I'm telling you, what they see in you is what they're going to do. And think about what your example says to other people. And this is not for parents. This is for all of us. 
if your dad called you this afternoon, if your parents are still living, and they said, hey, we're, we're going to have a big gathering of our family, and we want you to be here Saturday at, at 2 o'clock, and we're going to eat from 2 to 4. After that, we're going to sit and just enjoy each other's company. We want you to be there. About 3.30, you meander in, you sit down, you don't say anything to anybody, you eat a little bit of stuff, and you get up and walk out about 20 minutes later. Not only did you set an example that your kids will probably follow, because what your example of your kids was, you don't care about your family. And I'm probably going to step on some toes pretty hard here. Don't send that example to your brothers and sisters. Don't be the person who you can set your watch by coming in five minutes late. Don't be the person that when you see them, you know, three times a month at services, you think they're a visitor. Don't be the person whose children end up not going to church because of the example you set. Because that can happen. Now, on the flip side of that, what if you're doing good for other people at every opportunity that you get? What do you think your children are going to do? They're probably going to do the same thing. What if, when you hear of an opportunity to be with Christians, you take it and you take them with you? What are they going to do? They're probably going to want to be there too. If you're reading your Bible at home and you're grabbing them and you're saying, man, let me show you something really cool I've never seen. And remember that thing I said about the example I don't set sometimes? I told Spencer, just yesterday I failed her. You know why? Because I didn't sit and go over her lesson with her yesterday. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, but it's never too late to correct it. Think about what you're doing. Think about who's watching you. And you remember the last time I preached if you were here, I had a camera sitting up here? What if somebody were filming your life, and they said, hey, you know what, we're going to film your life, and we're going to show this, this, your life to new Christians, and we're going to title this thing, Walk This Way. Without being arrogant, I hope that most of us could say, yeah, go ahead, film it. I'll do the best I can. But if it were me, I'd probably go, ooh, ooh, ooh. No, why don't you ask Donna Dare or somebody else? No, no, I don't want you filming me. Think about that. You're being watched. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are being watched by somebody who is going to follow your example. But it's not going to happen automatically. You have to prepare yourself. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 7, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Here it is, right here. We have to follow this example. We have to prepare ourselves. Without preparing to become an example, you'll never be one. Remember the mechanic? Remember the surgeon? Somehow, they got that training that they needed. They went to school. I hope they went to school. I hope they didn't just go to Holiday Inn Express and are now cutting you open. I mean, that's what we all hope, right? That they got that training. If you want to be a good example, if you want to be the Christian that other people want to be, you got to prepare yourself. It's not going to happen automatically. It's not just going to be a switch that somebody flips on and all of a sudden you're doing the right thing. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Can you defend what you're doing as a Christian and why? Do you have hope as a Christian? Can, can somebody come up to you and say, hey, I know that you go to that Church of Christ, that Franklin Church, and you go there, right? I know you go there. Well, why do you go there? Can you defend that? Can you defend that you're a Christian because it gives you hope? And explain what the hope is? And then accurately tell them from the Bible why you have that hope? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says you have to study. And, and that was in the King James. Another version that says make every effort. Let me ask you something. Do you work for God? I want you to compare the, the, the work and effort you give to God to the work and effort you give in your job. Retired guys, you don't count. If your job paid you wages equivalent to the effort that you put in to God, what would your pay be? Would it be minimum wage? Would, would you be in danger of getting fired? I mean, think about it. Are, are you giving more effort to manna, or are you giving more effort to God? That's a hard question. And that's an example I hope that somebody's looking at me and seeing the right answer. I can't answer that because I don't know what people think of me. I don't want to know what you think of me, so don't come up here afterwards and start telling me what you think of me. But think about the fact that people are watching you. Can I handle the word of of God accurately. That's what Second Timothy tells us to do when it says study to show yourself approved or to give every effort to handle the word accurately. Can you sit down with the Bible and explain to somebody what the truth is? I hope you can. But however you answered those questions, rest assured somebody sees the pattern that is in you, whether good or bad. In 1999, the Army published this manual on leadership. I guess they felt they had to put it in writing. And the title of it was Army Leadership. The subtitle was Be No Do. And I'm sure they probably use this in other, other venues, corporations, or whatever. But the concept was this. B was character. You had to demonstrate through your behavior what your character truly was. And the reason they were telling leaders that was because they knew that soldiers would see straight through your character and what kind of person you really were. And that's why they addressed that first. It was be a soldier. That's what they're trying to tell you. Be a soldier. Then know. The no part of it was, if you want any level of competency, you have to know what you're doing. You have to understand what you're doing. In the, in the New American Standard, when I did a search on the word knowledge, I found it 153 times. Can a word that is mentioned... 153 times in the Bible be of little value? Obviously not. In some cases, as you take, people are perishing. My people perish for lack of knowledge. In other cases, it is saying knowledge is something that will be the foundation to your success. So then this leadership man is saying, you've got to know what you're doing if you want to be confident. And then the do part. You've got to take action. 
It's not enough to say or to believe in yourself that you have the character you should. It's not enough to know every jot and tittle in the Bible. You now have to do something based on that. Let's say a prayer real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give us. We thank you for the example that you gave us in Christ. We thank you that he loved us enough to empty himself, to come to earth, to do this to save us, but not only just to save us, but to show us how to be saved, to show us how to love one each other, to show us the way that we should have purity and goodness, to show us how we can imitate you, God. We ask that you be with us as Christians, that you would cleanse our heart, that you would create in us a new heart, that where we have failed to set the example, that you would help us to realize our mistakes, that you would help us to correct it. But more than anything, God, we ask for your strength. We ask for your help. We ask for your encouragement that you can give us through other Christians to become a good example, to be the kind of parent that will raise a God-fearing child that will then be example to generations to come to be the kind of co-worker that would have others look at us and say, I want to be like him. I want to have his hope. I want to understand what it is that makes him happy when times seem so bad. More than anything, God, we want to be in heaven with you. And we know that setting the right example, deciding to do that, is critical in living a life of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that lesson edified you and glorified God. If you have any questions about this lesson or any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to get to meet you face-to-face. Please check out our website to learn our times and directions for our assemblies. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. Again, let me remind you, if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to these lessons as a podcast simply by going to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com, looking to the right of the page and clicking on that iTunes podcast link, and then hitting subscribe when it brings up our page. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.